Hallelujah means praise the Lord. And we are uh, instructed and given ample opportunities in Scripture to testify. We see the Psalms calling us repeatedly to testify. And so I'm so grateful for each and every week that we set aside that time specifically to listen to one another, testify to the goodness of God in our lives. Amen. I pray that you were encouraged by that time as well. If you're our guest this morning, just a brief uh, hello uh, to those of you that I haven't met. My name is Will, and I get the privilege to serve as a pastor here at Spring Creek, and we are excited that you're here with us. Hopefully on your way in, you got a gift bag, and in that gift bag is a connect card. Friends from Friendship, you don't have to fill one of those out. You're going back home. Uh, we will be praying over you as you travel. But if you're our guest and you're here and you're local, if you would fill that out so that we can know how we can better connect with you in ministry, we uh, would be grateful for you to do that. This morning is a special morning. Uh, periodically throughout uh, our year, as we come to especially poignant places to, to pause in whatever series that we're in, we take a moment to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us, specifically by partaking of the Lord's Supper together. It's interesting, when God created man in the garden, he gave them one specific command. Don't eat from one tree. You realize that God could have created humans to, to never need to eat? That he could have created us in the same way that plants get their energy from the sun in any other way, but instead God created us to somehow de be dependent upon the very earth that he sustains. Eating is a sign and a symbol of our dependence ultimately on, G on God and our obedience to him, which is why God tied that very first command to do not eat. It was a test of our our dependence upon the Lord. And when Jesus Christ came and when he, uh, the night before he was crucified, he gave a, a act of remembering to his disciples and through them to his church, namely the Lord's Supper. As he took the bread and he took the wine and he infused them with the picture of the sacrifice that he was about to partake and he tied it to eating. Because eating is something that we must do regularly or we will die. And in the same way, Jesus Christ took this reminder of the gospel and tied it to an act that if we don't do it, we will die. There's a tendency oftentimes in the lives of Christians to think that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for lost people. And when we get to moments when maybe an evangelist stands on the stage or a pastor gets into some particular presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, maybe we might tune it out a little bit. Because that's for lost people to repent and to believe in Jesus Christ. But the reality is, brothers and sisters, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Repentance is not merely the way into the Christian life. It's the way of the Christian life. Amen? And we each and every one need to be constantly feasting, if you will, on what Jesus Christ has done for us. Collectively, individually, we need to be living in light of the truth of the gospel for you and for me. And allowing the gospel to shape how we see ourselves, to shape how we see God, to experience God's grace through repentance and then experience the joy that comes out of that. And the reality is it's as the gospel works in our lives that the gospel then compels us to go into the community. Gospel service is born out of gospel focus and reality. So we set aside these times to specifically focus our attention on a passage of Scripture that reminds us of exactly what it is that this Lord's Supper is meant to picture in our lives. And as I was prayerfully considering God's Word, there's a verse 
that maybe you're very familiar with, probably you are familiar with, probably you've got it memorized, probably you've used it before, but in truth, we oftentimes use it as proof text, and we have lost the beauty of the passage that surrounds Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So I want to read the verses that are around that share some thoughts with you as we prepare our hearts to focus once again on exactly what it is that Jesus has accomplished for us and what he promises to accomplish for us. If you have your Bibles and you want to join me in Romans chapter 3, you're welcome to. It'll be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible of your very own uh, or don't have uh, uh, one with you, you're welcome to use the one under the chairs in front of you. But Paul writes in Romans 3, beginning in verse 21, but now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified not by faith, or justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you for the constant reminder that comes in your word of who we are, of who you are, and of your great grace that pursues us even in the midst of our sin. When we were enemies, when we were hostile, when we were imprisoned and enslaved under sin, you, Heavenly Father, in your grace, pursued us that you might save us. That you might set us free, not only from our sin, but from ourselves, and that you might adopt us as sons and daughters of God. Promised the inheritance of the entire universe. So I pray this morning would be a time of reflection for each and every one of us to remember, to feast on, to be nurtured and nourished by the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen and amen. There, briefly, there are times in the world that are so powerful, that are so significant, that we actually mark our lives pre and post that time, don't we? There's the, the time before the Great Depression. There's the time before the Great World Wars. There's the time before Watergate. There's the time before 9-11. And there will be a time after COVID, right? 
Paul talks about here as he opens this verse that there is a new time that we exist in. He says, but now. He has been talking up to this point in Romans chapter 3 about the condemnation of the law and the time under the law. And what the law of the Old Testament ultimately does, as we have been seeing recently in the book of Galatians, is that the law only has the power to do one thing, to reveal our sin to expose our weakness and our inability to do anything about it. To imprison us, he says in the book of Galatians, under the law, under sin. And it is meant to lead us then to the only one who can do anything about it. In the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about the gospel as being a mystery. He uses that word many different times. But he says, now, after Jesus Christ, we live in an entirely different age. Before Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God, his saving grace, was a mystery. But praise the Lord, you and I don't live in an age of mystery, brothers and sisters. Because what Paul says in this verse, is verse 21, is that that righteousness, the saving grace of God, has been made manifest, has been revealed, has been made plain. And the point of that revelation is not something, it's someone. Jesus Christ. That the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, even though the law and the prophets, all of the Old Testament, are pointing to this Savior, pointing to this message of grace. And that righteousness is in Jesus Christ. Specifically, that righteousness comes, verse 22, through faith in Christ to all who believe. It's kind of this circular motion. Faith and believe are really the same word, the same family. One is the noun and one is the verb. That the righteousness of God comes to us through faith. As opposed to what? As opposed to works. Because what Paul jumps in is he says that there is no distinction. He's been talking about the difference in the mindset of his original audience between a Jewish people and everyone who's not Jewish, which is Gentile. And Paul says right here, there is absolutely no distinction, for he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All means all. It's really hard to escape that. All have the same problem, he says, and therefore all need the same solution. There's no question about it as to which vaccine works better or which treatment works better or who is all of the the debates and everything else. In Scripture, our primary problem in the world, in the universe, our only problem of eternal significance is our sin. And God has provided the one and only perfect cure, period. All have sinned. And so I just want to let that sit in you. Even as a believer in Jesus Christ, maybe you're here this morning and you understand that your sin has been completely wiped away and washed away in Jesus Christ in the power of his grace and his forgiveness. The truth of the matter is what this verse reminds us is is that all that we bring to the table is our brokenness. And all that the world and anyone can bring to the table is brokenness. And it's all of our best efforts to deal with our brokenness on our own that is what falls far short of the glory of God. As we live in a broken world, as, we, as many of you have testified to the suffering that you have experienced most recently in your life, and God has been there, so often when we face the suffering, especially long-term suffering in our lives, we are trying to do everything in our own power to correct our brokenness. We want to be happy, and so we pursue happiness and pleasure and try to fix our brokenness through money, 
through pleasure, through power, through politics, through drugs, through alcohol. And maybe we try to control our lives through our religion, doing our best to get God's attention, doing our best to keep God happy. What Paul would say and what the Bible says is that all of that, all of our best efforts fall short of God and his glory, his righteousness. And we're familiar with that verse that exposes our sin and our, our need, our constant ongoing need, because the truth of the matter is, though we have been justified, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, though we have been washed clean of our sins, as Paul is going to later say in the book of Romans itself, sin is an ongoing struggle in our lives. As we struggle against our old self to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and to hold fast and hold firm, we still struggle with our sin. And so as we all understand that I am part of all and all points to me, we all need the Savior Jesus Christ. I talk to people a lot and I find that often there's a lot of people that we like to hide inside that word all. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And yeah, I, I get it. We're, everybody messes up. Everybody makes mistakes. I'm the same as everybody else. And we hide in this groupthink. When what Scripture wants to bring to bear on each and every one of us is the reality that you are a sinner. I have sinned. I fall short of the glory of God. Repeatedly. And when I come to the gospel of Jesus Christ, I bring my brokenness. When I come to the Bible, I bring my brokenness. When I come to God, I bring my brokenness. And God gives then a gift of grace that is justification and redemption. We've defined justification in the past as God declaring us righteous, as God treating us just as if I'd never sinned. And that can only be a gift given to us by God, the great judge. And beyond that, though, God also redeems us through Jesus Christ from our slavery to ourselves and to our sin. Jesus Christ has paid the price to purchase us from slavery that we might be set free by God's grace and by his gift. And he does that, verse 25, by being put forward by God himself to be a propitiation for our sin by his blood. Now, what in the world does that mean? That's a big, fancy theological word. The reality is there's some debate around this, but the truth of the matter is it's not an either or, it's a both and. What Jesus Christ does is he, in his perfect and righteous and spotless life, in his death on the cross, in his resurrection from the dead, and then let's finish it out, right, in his ascension, because his ministry is still ongoing, in heaven. In all of that, Jesus accomplishes simultaneously two things. On the one hand, he absorbs all of the wrath that you and I deserve because of our sin. He averts God's wrath from our sin. And at the same time, he cleanses us of everything that deserves God's wrath. Such that when we believe, have our faith in Jesus Christ, we have received God's forgiveness, God's grace, God's justification, God's redemption, and adoption. Such that God no longer sees us as sinners, he sees us inside his Son. All those who are in Christ are covered by his blood, recipients of his grace, and God does this for a reason. What's God's reason? 
to display his righteousness. I don't know about you, but that's a big blow to my ego. Because if I wanted to ask the question, why did God go to all this trouble? Why did God send his son Jesus Christ to be a a propitiation for my sin? Why did God do all of that? I would want the answer to be because I'm really cool and awesome and God loves me and and God wants me and God wants to to rescue me. and, and, And some of that... God's love for me, not because of any worth in myself, is true, but the reality is God did all of this to display something before the entire universe, namely his righteousness, his glory, his goodness, his uprightness, as he provides everything that is necessary for sinners to be declared justified and for his wrath to be appeased. Because the reality is, brothers and sisters, sin is rebellion against God. It's not an oopsie-daisy. It's not an I messed up. It's not I slipped up again. It's not even an I'm struggling with something. Every sin is a blatant act of rebellion against a holy and righteous God. And God in his holiness and God in his righteousness will deal with that injustice. The question is, will God's justice be poured out on you, or will it be poured out on a substitute for you, namely Jesus Christ, who absorbed all of God's wrath for all who believe in him? And that is the the challenge that is here because repeatedly through this, these are great and powerful promises to all who believe. All who've put their faith in Christ. If you have not believed on Christ today, these promises don't speak to you. Instead, they're an invitation to you to believe on Christ today, to receive God's grace today. To turn from your dependence on yourself, to turn from your slavery to your sin, and to trust in Jesus Christ as the only, only justification for your salvation and the justification for your sanctification. As Paul says in Galatians, did you begin by grace and now you're being sanctified by works and efforts on your own strength? To believe in Jesus Christ because when we recognize this is all from God, as a gift from God, for his glory, then he ends up in this last paragraph where he basically asks this question. Since God did this for you by his grace to display his glory and invite us into that righteousness and into that relationship, then what becomes of our boasting? It goes out the window. Because I bring nothing to the table. I accomplish nothing for myself. It is all a gift of God to be received by faith. We are saved by faith alone. In Christ alone. And we are now invited to live by faith alone. To live in a constant belief that Jesus is enough every moment of every day. To be freed from the yoke and the burden of religiosity, this obedience to a specific religious code, where somehow I beat myself up or I feel guilty because I'm constantly trying to keep God's favor. You don't need that. You need to 
rest and trust in Christ. Do you see the weight that all of this takes off from you and from me as Paul hammers it home? God will not share his glory with anyone, not even with you. God does it all. It's a finished, wrapped package. It is there, completed, beginning to end. Receive it by faith. And receive God's love that is never failing. And we're not freed then to boast, except in Jesus Christ. As Paul says in Galatians 6, in the cross of Jesus Christ. Instead, we're freed to just rest. To rest in him. One of the weirdest experiences of my entire life was to get into the Dead Sea. And if you don't know anything about the Dead Sea, and I apologize, I know that this is a sore subject for some of you who went with me to Israel. It was too cold and too rainy, and you didn't get to get in the Dead Sea. I'm sorry. Um, I, you, can, you can talk to God about that one. I didn't control the weather on that. But one of the weirdest experiences, if you're not familiar with the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea, the salt content and the mineral content of the water is so dense that you don't need any flotation device at all. All you've got to do is just sit down. I'm going to tell you, the weirdest experience on the planet is to sit on water. Go home, try it in your swimming pool. Videotape it and send it to me so that I can laugh at you. Um, But to come to that moment... of fighting against everything that my head would tell me. When I sit down, I'm going to sink. And instead, lean back and take this leap of faith in my heart and in my, and in my mind that says, okay, everybody says, I'm watching other people do it. I'm going to rest in this. And lean back and be cradled by the very thing that I had thought would drop me is a profound experience and a reminder of exactly where you and I have to live our lives each and every moment of each and every day. God, I'm just going to rest in what you have done for me. And I'm going to let that be the thing that carries me from where I am into eternity with you. Begin by faith, live by faith, end by faith. Faith alone, not by works of the law. So eating this chewy wafer and drinking this bitter grape juice is not a work that somehow infuses God's grace into me. Instead, it is a reminder of the elements of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an act of taking into myself the truth that Jesus Christ gave his body, shed his blood, took the place that I deserve, and he gave me the place that he deserves. All by faith and faith alone. We're going to take a moment before we dive into this, and we're just going to take a moment to rest and to hear and to sing. And we're going to reflect on the gospel in this song. And maybe you just need to take a moment to prepare your heart and your mind to just dwell on that reality. Maybe you're here this morning and you are in that place, like I said earlier, that you can't say these promises are mine because there's never been a place in my life where I have responded to the gospel in faith and believed all of this to be true. God invites you. God 
commands you to respond to the gospel. And you and I will respond in one of two ways, in faith and surrender, or we will respond in rebellion and running. I would invite you not to choose the latter today. Instead, I would invite you to hear the gospel, believe the gospel, and cry out to God in prayer to do what you can't, what I can't, what this church can't, but what he can, which is forgive you of your sins, transform your heart, and set you on a path of everlasting love in him. Take that response of faith today. But maybe you just need to position yourself before the Lord and pray and sing and listen. And I'm going to come back and lead us in that in a moment. If you're here this morning and you've got something going on in your life and you really just need a moment, I'm actually going to use this time to step into the back. I would love to talk with you, pray with you. I would love to to have an opportunity to just speak with you more about Jesus Christ if you need, while we just prepare our hearts for taking the Lord's Supper in just a few moments. But I invite you, if you would, take whatever posture you need. If you want, I'm going to invite you to stand. If you want to stay seated where you can pray, you can. But would you stand and would you sing with us as we prepare our hearts for just what we're going to do in just a moment.